It's important for us. We need to digest his word on a regular basis. It's something that really, in essence, for the believer, we can't live without. You know, you make sacrifices. You come to the beginning of a year and you're like, oh, I'm going to sacrifice this this year and I'm going to sacrifice that this year and I'm not going to do this and I'm not going to do that. But we never come to the beginning of a year and say, well, I'm just not going to be in God's word this year. That didn't make any sense. Because for the believer, there is no book like God's book. Now, in theory, we all agree with that. Right? But maybe in practice, that's where it's kind of difficult. Because I can stand here and say to you that in my life, the most important book for me is God's Word. But it's in practice where it really plays itself out. Is that really true or not? Is that something that, that I just believe? Or is it something that, that if I look at my life, I can say, well, you know, I must really believe it because I'm in it a lot. In the fall of uh, 1978, there was a conference held in Chicago, Illinois. In the fall of 1978, and there were about 300 men gathered together to discuss biblical inerrancy and the authority of Scripture. And what came out of that meeting in 1978, was what is what is called the Chicago Statement. Any of you heard that before? The Chicago Statement, and a lot of you haven't. You need to, by the way, just to, as a commercial, there's another statement that was written not too long ago, the Nashville Statement. You need to read that. It's where evangelicals came together, and they talked about what God says about marriage. That's in a nutshell. You need to read it. But the conference that took place in the fall of 1978 was a very important conference because at the center of that was the discussion of the inerrancy and authority of the Bible. Um, There is really nothing more important to, to discuss, right, than the authority and the inerrancy of Scripture because from the Scriptures we learn what God says about salvation, right? That's where we learn about salvation. That's where we learn about the family. That's where we learn about creation. So all of it comes from the Word of God. And in the Chicago Statement in 1978, I just wanted to give this to you before we get into our text this morning, because I think it's really important for you to discern and understand that, that this has been a point of discussion for a long period of time. Um, I just, I'm just going to one particular example. But there are, uh, have been a lot of discussions around the authority of Scripture. And so this is the preface. This is what they came up with. The authority of Scripture is a key issue for the Christian church in this age and every age. Now remember, that was just coming out of the 1960s, which was a time of what? Free everything, right? And so they came to a point where they recognized that it really wasn't the feelings of man that mattered as much as it was the authority of Scripture that mattered. And so they wrote, the authority of Scripture is a key issue for the Christian church in this age and every age. They went on to write, those who profess faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior are called to show the reality of their discipleship, I like this next phrase, by humbly and faithfully obeying God's written word. 
So, so there's like, I'm look, as you're looking through that statement, you're like, is there room for maneuvering here? Uh, there really isn't. To stray from Scripture in faith or conduct is disloyalty to our master. You know what tends to happen? I'm going to tell you what tends to happen. It tends to happen this way, that we compare our lives with the person sitting next to us. We, can t- we, we, we tend to compare, well, I'm doing better spiritually than this person, or my marriage is, is better than theirs, and that's just a big time out. Right? Time out. There's a guy in sports, his name is Dick Vitale. He, 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 I don't know if any of you remember Dick Vitale, but he used to always say when he was wanting to make a point, give me a T.O., baby, give me a T.O. So it's a big time out. Because it's not that we're comparing our lives with the person next to us. That's not what we should be doing. Our concentration should be on what has God said and what does God want for my life. That's what makes sense, right? He says recognition of, they wrote this, recognition of the total truth and trustworthiness of Holy Scripture is essential to a full grasp and adequate confession of its authority. Hello. <laughs> Somebody's amening through their phone, right? The authority is the word of God in my life and in your life, right? And that's what Peter's really building his case on for these guys because the Lord's about to take him. And he's like, hey, look, you can stand on this book. You can stand on the more, as he calls it, the more sure prophetic word. You didn't experience what we experienced on the Mount of Transfiguration, but you have something that we have, and that is God's word. Um, that is Peter's point in the latter part of chapter one. And in fact, we've talked about it. This is our third week, and, and, and there's really three points in three weeks because in three weeks... We've learned together that there are three reasons, at least three reasons, at least from this text, that we need to pay attention to the Word of God, Um, which presents the question, why should believers pay attention to the Word? And in the context of 2 Peter chapter 1, we we learn from verse 19 that the Word of God provides guidance, direction, it illuminates it brings light in a dark place. And we live in a dark place, just like they lived in a dark place, right? Um, you don't have to go far down the road to figure out we live in a dark place. You think about the things that inundate our children at school these days. Listen, I remember when I was growing up, school was a safe zone in a lot of ways. I remember when, we first, when I first started elementary school, we still had prayer Right? And we even had teachers that would open their Bible. And so the light was present. And now I think about these kids in, in our, our world today. Man, they're in a dark place. So the word provides guidance. And he tells them in verse 19, look, you need to pay attention to the word till Christ comes. <laughs> so, right, in case you're wondering how long, how long is that supposed to last anyway? I remember when I first showed up on the campus of Southeastern Bible College. I didn't plan on telling this story, but I'm going to. I remember driving up on the campus, and, and um, I was 17 years old. And, and I remember driving up the campus, and it was a beautiful campus. And I remember these, these young people sitting on the hill reading their Bibles. 
I'm like, hmm. You know, I know, I mean, I was 17 and I, I knew the Lord, but man, I wasn't as engaged in the Bible as I needed to be at 17, I promise. Most 17 year, year old students aren't. But you know, even at 27 and at 37 and at 47, and I'm not quite 57, but I'm getting there. I don't know that I'm engaged in God's word as much as I need to be. How about you? I could probably use a little improvement in that area. How about you? Right? I look at it, and I, I was thinking about this phrase this week. I mean, what's my go-to in life? You know, what's my go-to? My go-to in life should be God's word. You know, anytime I'm wrestling with issues in my life, I mean, God's already addressed it. Why do we want to get the wisdom of men when we can gain knowledge from God? Well, so it provides guidance. And then last week we looked together at the fact that, that they needed to pay attention to God's word not only because it provided guidance, but the word comes from God. It's from him, whether it's through a burning bush or through, um, through a donkey, it doesn't matter. It's God's word. We have the written revelation, God's complete revelation. It originates with him. He is the source of truth. Um. By the way, which leads to the next question. Why was the instruction so imperative? You know, he's talked about this illumination. He's talked about revelation, that revelation's from God. But why was this instruction so important? And we looked a little bit at that in the context of Second Peter, and it's the presence of false teachers. Because as he comes to chapter 2, we're going to spend about four weeks looking together at, at how he identifies these false teachers. And the whole chapter is devoted to identifying those who were false teachers, whose source of wisdom was not God, but whose source of wisdom was their own thoughts and ideas. You know, you think about how crazy that is, right? I mean, <laughs> you know, you have a tool here in the Word, and someone comes to you and says, hey, man, you know, I'm newly married and, and I'm trying to get this understanding of what it's like to be married. And, and What do you think about being married? Well, man, marriage is difficult. You know, I've been married 17 years. You've only been married a year. Man, it's difficult. It really is. Well, do you have any kind of wisdom or guidance you could give me? Yeah, man, just say yes, dear, as much as you can. Well, that's not bad wisdom. But what does God say about the family? Right? What does God say about the husband? Well, I mean, he makes it really clear. The husband is what? The head of the wife. As Christ is the head of the church. And that's offensive to women's groups today. I know that is. But my goodness gracious, study the entirety of it. Don't just study part of it. Because the Bible tells us in the book of Genesis that the wife is called the helper. And do you know that word is used in the Old Testament to refer to God many times helping out. So I'm like, hey, right? Why does culture, listen to me, culture lies. Culture says, hey, women are not as respected as they need to be. Oh, well, let's look to the source. What does the Bible say about the woman? In the book of Genesis, not what does culture say, what does the Bible say? So whether you're talking about the family, whether you're talking about money, listen, at the end of the day, the wisdom that we need comes from God and his word. 
But now these false teachers, as we're going to see, man, they were interrupting. They were doing some interrupting. And do you know, and as we get to chapter 2, you're going to see that as we use different illustrations, that's going on right now, guys. There's some interrupting going on. And people are buying into philosophy. That's what's going on. But what's your philosophy? What's your, what does God say? You know, I, I never did like philosophy classes in school. I mean, you know, that's, all that is is man's ideas. Right? That's all it is. Well, we got something better. And that's what Peter's telling these guys. Well, you got something better. You've got the more sure prophetic word. And you need it because you're going to feel at times in the Christian life, and you, and you may feel this way too, where you're being bombarded on both sides. And you're like, man, I don't really know what to say. And it may be as something as, what is the gospel? All right, well, this morning we want to see from verse 21 that not only is the word, does it originate with God, but the Bible tells us in verse 21 that the word is inspired. This is a very important, very, very important term. Um, look at verse 20 of, of 2 Peter 1. But know this first of all. First of all, remember it appeared in the first part. Knowing first of all that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own unloosing or untying. That's the idea there of interpretation. So the point in verse 20 is about origin. Where, did, where, does, God, where does the word come from? It comes from God. Right? It comes from Him. So if you're thinking about the distinction between 20 and 21, 21's about origin or source of truth. 20 is. And 21 is about effort. Look at verse 21. For no prophecy... No prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. Now, this is a very important, uh, this next phrase, but men. Now, in the King James Version, um, and it's more reflective of the Greek here, it's holy men. Um, that's very important because the word holy means what? It means set apart. These men were set apart. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but holy men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. I want to give you just a couple little things here in terms of inspiration. Um, first of all, inspiration emphasizes the recording of spiritual truth. The recording of spiritual truth. Verse 21 points out that while holy men wrote the scripture, they were moved along by the Holy Spirit. Right? They were moved along by the Holy Spirit. So there's two, really two critical points here that we need to make from verse 21. All right, the first one is this, that the will of human authors did not direct what was written. It was not the will of human authors. All right? The, um, John didn't get up and write, well, this is what I want to write today. Or Peter, oh, this is what I want to write today. In fact, it's true that at times um, we're told that the prophets wrote... And they long to understand, <laughs> right? So you're like, okay, well, I, if it was their own effort, which, that, by the way, that's the big contrast, because when you get to chapter 2, we're going to see that, that false teachers, it's all based on their own wisdom and understanding. So you come back to First Peter chapter 1, and it's not the wisdom of men, it's about the Lord. And even those who wrote long to understand at times. And I want you to turn back with me, First Peter, this is just a few pages, so you ought to be able to get that. All right, 1 Peter chapter 1, 
verses 10 and 11. And they write, Peter writes this, as to the salvation. You say, well, what salvation? Good question. Look, verse 9. Obtaining it as the outcome of your faith, the salvation of what? Your souls. As to this salvation, verse 10, the prophets who prophesied of the grace that would come to you made careful search and inquiry, seeking to know what person or time the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating as he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories to follow. They pondered, they wondered about what this glorious Messiah being equated to suffering. What are you talking about? And so, obviously, as we continue on in the scriptures and you go from the Old Testament to the New Testament, you find out that the prophecies concerning Christ and his first coming are fulfilled. And part of those prophecies had to do with what? The suffering servant, who is Christ. Okay? But as Peter wrote here in 1 Peter, there were prophets who prophesied who longed to understand the sufferings of Christ. And so the will of human authors did not direct what was written. The scriptures are not the product of human effort. However, men wrote them. I mean, you have to acknowledge that. I mean, verse 21 doesn't say men didn't write them. Men did write them. The point of verse 21 in the first part is that the will of human authors did not direct what was written. Um, the scriptures are not the product of human effort. Um, the second point here in verse 21 that's really critical to know is that the phrase moved along, all right, look at the last part of 21. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will or human effort, but holy men moved, or some translations might have carried along or borne along, by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Now, this word, moved along, is a really important word. I want you to go back with me to Acts chapter 27. We have an example here at Acts 27 of what this word or this phrase uh, means. Acts chapter 27. It's two times it's used. The same phrase is used in the book of Acts in chapter 27. In this context, it's referring to a sailing vessel carried along by the wind. Uh, chapter 27, verse 9, says, When considerable time had passed, and the voyage was now dangerous, since even the fast was already over, Paul began to admonish them and said to them, Men, I perceive that the voyage will certainly be attended with damage and great loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. The centurion was more persuaded by the pilot and the captain of the ship than by what Paul was saying. And because the harbor was not suitable for wintering, the majority reached a decision to put out to sea from there. If somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing northeast and southeast and spend the winter there. When a moderate south uh, wind came up, supposing they had gained their purpose, they weighed anchor and began sailing along Crete close. But before long, there rushed down from the land a violent wind called a Urquillo. Now, some translations may even have um, in the margin nor'easter, right? It's a strong wind. 
Now notice it says, verse 15, And when the ship was caught in it, meaning this wind, and could not face the wind, we gave it, we gave way to it, and let ourselves be what? Driven along, carried along. All right, it's the same word here that is used in Second Peter chapter 1. All right, which verifies the fact that these men did not write out of their own efforts. He uses that same word in verse 17 of that passage. If you go back to, to 2 Peter 1, um, Charles Ryrie makes a really important point here. He says the phrase not only confirms, and he's talking about this phrase moved along, not only confirms the dual authorship, but as well points to the fact that the Holy Spirit was guiding and guarding the men involved in the actual writing. And that's very important. All right? So it wasn't just the will or effort of men, but they were being moved along or carried along by the Holy Spirit. So what does that mean? Class, what does that mean? We have whose word? We have God's word. We have God's word. I like Charles Ryrie's definition of inspiration. It's a, an important definition. I've given you another one there by Wayne Barber, and it's a good one. You can take time to read that this afternoon. But um, Charles Ryrie defines inspiration this way. Inspiration may be defined as God's superintendence of the human authors of Scripture so that using their own individual personalities, and that's very important, right? And you can see that. At the end of this particular letter, do you know that, that, that Peter was kind of uh, like, whoa, man, Paul's writings are hard to understand, right? And if you look at the personalities, you take Matthew and Luke, for example. Matthew was what? What was Matthew? Tax collector. When you get reading through that gospel of Matthew, you know what you're going to find when it comes to money? Man, he's pretty specific, right? He's writing like a tax collector. He knew something about money, right? When you go to the book of Luke, Luke was what? Physician, a doctor. Well, you get to go going through the gospel of Luke, and you find him writing about physical things, ailments and such, and you're going to find a lot of detail. Their personalities came through as they composed and recorded Scripture. And so that's very, very important to understand uh, here from Second uh, Peter. So, so he's, he's talked to them about illumination. He's talked to them about revelation. He's talked to them about inspiration. Um, the last part of that uh, definition. Um, they composed and recorded without what? Error. Without error. His revelation to man in the words of the original autographs. So without error to the original autographs. You know what's so amazing though since that point? And we know about copies. But it's amazing to me how the word of God over the years has been preserved. Isn't it amazing? Right? So what does this mean for us? What did it mean for them? And that's what I want to spend a little bit of time as we um, go into the second half this morning of this message. Because it's important to understand the doctrine, right? You have the illumination, you have the revelation, you have the inspiration of Scripture. But what does it mean? What did it mean for them? What does it mean to us? And I've got some things that I want you to, to think about this morning. First of all, because God's Word is inspired, the Scriptures are trustworthy. They're trustworthy. You think about, just take the first half of that 
word trustworthy, the word trust. That's a pretty big word. Wouldn't you say? Pretty big word. Pretty big word in terms of relationships. Right? What happens when trust is broken in a relationship? Uh, you're going to need some time for repair. By the way, young people, this is just a, a, what do you call, commercial. When you lie to your parents, trust is broken. And you know what's going to take time? Repair, right? It's going to take some time to repair that trust. Well, you know what, guys? God can't lie. And his word is always true. And so we can always trust his word. Secondly, the scriptures are the thoughts of an omniscient God. Um, how many of you like to read? You like to read? My grandfather, one of my grandfathers wrote three books. He not only loved to read, he loved to write. He wrote one about Mary Magdalene, which is a pretty interesting book. He wrote one called Frustration Road. And he had those books. Um, he, I think two of them were published, actually. But you know the book that sat by his chair? Wasn't Frustration Road. Now, he grew up during the Depression. That book was a reflection of that. He didn't, it, it wasn't Mary Magdalene. It was the Bible, right? The Scriptures are the thoughts of an omniscient God. You know the word omniscient means? It means all-knowing. He's an all-knowing God. You know, guys, that practically means that nothing takes the Lord by surprise. He knows everything about you. He knows everything about me. He knows about the frustration you've had this last week. He knows about the child that you're dealing with that's rebellious. He knows about that job that you're in that you're going, ah! He knows all that stuff. You know, and I'm reading Jeremiah, and I'm thinking, wow, he ate God's word, and what did it produce in him? You remember? Joy. Joy even in the midst of a frustration road. There's joy. All right, well, third, the scriptures are exactly as God intended them to be. Right? So that means that we can trust the creation account. That means we can trust the scriptures as it relates to what? to the family and to Israel and to the church and to the future in the context of this passage, to the coming of Christ. You ever thought about how many of us are, how often, I guess would be a better way to put it, how often are we living in light of the return of Christ? You ever thought about that? I've, I've thought about that a few times I'm, in my life as a Christian. Man, am I living today like Christ could come? Because if I really believe the word, I believe Christ could come today. Right? And so the scripture is exactly as God intended them to be. And then the fourth that I wanted to give you is the scriptures are useful. They're useful. Now, in our culture, that word useful, I don't know that we I don't know that that's a really great term to use. Because if something's useful in our culture, I might use it and I might not. It just depends on the moment. Um, it's useful to have a fork at a restaurant. Okay, it's useful. Is it always necessary? Well, no, not, not always, 
right? If you're going for all that finger food stuff. But I like to put my fork in something, right? I like to jab that steak or that meat. I'm not a vegetarian. God bless all of you who are. But I like to put a fork in it, right? I like that, right? I like to be able to say, that's my piece of meat, right? I like to be able to eat that. Um, the scriptures are valuable. So, so sometimes we go to a place in life where we're looking at something and going, well, I don't know how valuable that is. But then we go to another circle of life where, well, that's really valuable. So when I'm eating, a fork's valuable, right? When, when I'm in a library, books are valuable, right? When I'm in a school for kids, computers are valuable. Well, there's nothing that compares to God's Word. Right? The Word of God is more than useful. I wanted you to go with me to 2 Timothy in chapter 3. And I want to end our time together with just a few observations. Because this is the other text that talks about in the New Testament. That talks about the Word of God being inspired. 2 Timothy. The third chapter. And in this passage, we're told ways that God's Word is useful. That word um, in verse 16 says, All Scripture, chapter 3, all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable. That word means useful. Um, It means valuable. It's something that that we attach value to. Um, And so it leads to this question, in what ways are the Scriptures valuable? Which we don't have to, like, go hunting a bunch. It's right here in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Now remember, in the context of this passage, you know what's interesting? Is that both passages, whether you're referring to 2 Peter or 2 Timothy, I mean, in 2 Peter, this is Peter's last stand, and he's writing to these believers. In 2 Timothy, this is Paul's last stand, and he's writing to a man who he's mentored. And his name's Timothy. I find that to be interesting, right? So at the end of their lives, this is what they're writing. They're focusing in on the Word of God. Um, So Paul answers the question, in what ways are the Scriptures valuable? First of all, notice verses 14 and 15. God's Word makes a person wise for salvation. Look at verse 14. He says, You, however, continue in the things you have learned, past tense. And become convinced of, um, knowing from whom you have learned them. Now, Timothy was a blessed man, wasn't he? He had a godly mother and a godly grandmother. You might have those people in your life, right? Godly mothers, godly grandmothers, godly fathers, godly grandfathers. Paul told him, you continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And look at this. And that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to what? The wisdom that leads to salvation. What did Timothy have as his Bible? The Old Testament. He had the Old Testament. But the value here, the usefulness of Scripture, according to Paul here, 
It provides wisdom that leads to salvation. And notice the avenue through what? Through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. The message is not any different. So God's word makes a person wise for salvation. Now this is how that practically works out in your life and my life. And so the next time you have an opportunity to share the gospel with someone, you don't have to rely on your own wisdom. In fact, might I encourage you not to. Might I encourage you, not because you're ignorant, but might I encourage you to rely on the wisdom of God. Might I encourage you to go to passages such as 1 Corinthians 15, where Paul clearly lays out the gospel. So God's word makes a person wise for salvation. Secondly, we see here that God's word is inspired or it's God-breathed. Notice verse 16. All scripture is inspired or God-breathed. All right? Um, I like what Wayne Gruden says here about this particular phrase. This is how he puts it in kind of that whole practice, you know, everyday life. He says, all the words of the Bible are God's words. Therefore, to disbelieve or disobey them is to disbelieve or disobey God himself. That's pretty heavy. Right, I read that, I was like, that's pretty heavy. Because God loves me so much, he gave me his word. He's given me the path in terms of holiness. We sang a lot about holiness this morning. What do we need to understand about holiness? Well, we need to understand that the Bible says that God is holy, holy, holy. That he is separate, separate, separate. That he's not like anyone. But then we also need to understand in terms of holiness that it is God's desire, even his command in 1 Peter, that we be what? That we be holy as he is holy. That we be separate in all our behavior. Like all our behavior, Lord? Yeah, all our behavior. So, the Word of God makes a person wise for salvation. God's Word is inspired. It's God-breathed. It's, 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 it's more impactful than any novel you ever read. It's living. Thirdly, notice in the text... Um, God's word is useful, and it's useful for four different things. Notice um, verse 16 of 2 Timothy chapter 3. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching. That word teaching there is the idea of doctrine. Idea of doctrine. It's that boring stuff called doctrine, right? That's the way it's treated a lot of times. That somehow doctrine's boring, really? Is doctrine boring? Because when we're talking about doctrine, you've got to cover all of it. Is God boring? Because that's part of studying doctrine. Is Christ boring? That's part of studying doctrine. Is the Holy Spirit boring? Better not be. Right? I just think that doctrine's kind of taken one of those hits in our culture, in our church culture. Well, do we really have to talk about this? Why is it so important to talk about that? And I'm like, well, because at the end of the day, the B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E, Bible. I need to know everything that God says about himself. 
I need to know everything that God says about his son. I need to know everything that God says about his spirit. I need to know. And so it's instruction. Yeah, I know that sounds like, you know, you, I think about the kids in class these days. How many of you young people pay attention when you go to school? Be honest. I mean, what, within five minutes you're going, man, I wish they'd hurry up. Right? That's just the truth. Do you know the remedy for being bored with doctrine? This is going to sound crazy. Stay in the book. Stay in the book. I got a young man that not long ago told me he had been in the Word for 35 or 36 straight days. A young man. And I was like... <laughs> and you know what he said to me? He said, that, you know, I'm finding out, I'm finding out, I want to be in it more and more and more. Hey, that's what God's Word does. To the point where we're saying, I want to eat it. Well, it's not only prof- profitable for doctrine... You're going to love this one. The Word of God is profitable for reproof. Yuck. Right? We can stick our tongues out like, ugh. Because what does it do? The Word of God exposes sin. Can I just give you a real quick one? Example? Good. I have about five minutes. Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. I love the book of Ephesians. As you get older, one of the things that happens to you as a believer is it doesn't take long to figure out in your day that you're a sinner. Any of you with me on that? And I don't even have to go hardly two or three minutes. My mind's wandering all over the place. But I was thinking, you know, in terms of one's sin or one's error, that's what God's Word does. It exposes error and exposes sin... And when Paul writes in Ephesians 4 and he's talking about this whole relationship of, of, with Christ and how one should walk, um, there's a couple of areas I thought, well, maybe you guys can relate to the, these areas. Um, he says, verse 26, Be angry and do not sin. Have you figured out how to do that yet? It is possible. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. I could be angry about something, right, without making it personal. And do not give the devil an opportunity. Now, listen to me. That's what happens, real quick illustration, that's what happens a lot of times in marriage. Well, that can happen. It can happen. Easily can happen. You know, one of the things we have to determine to do is be disciplined to not let that happen. And you know what that's going to demand on the part of the husband? Husbands, you're going to hate me for this. It's going to demand a humility on your part to say sometimes you're wrong. I feel like somebody's about to pull an arrow and put, shoot me. It's the truth. I've been plenty wrong. And there's been times where my flesh, man, I want to go to bed angry at Teresa. That gives me the upper hand if I go to bed and I'm angry. It means the next day, right? It's all about me. But the reality is that's not true. And you know what? You listen. And you know what? Listen, just like the scripture says here, 
Do not give the devil an opportunity. By the way, that crosses over into friendships too and relationships in the body. Do not let those things fester. Man, don't let that happen. Now look at this, verse 28. That wasn't even the one I was talking about. Let him who steals, steal no longer. A person who steals doesn't understand the provision piece. Right? That, that, they don't understand that. But rather let him labor, performing with his own hands what is good, in order that he may have something to share with him who has need. Here it is, verse 29. Let no unwholesome, that word is rotten. Let no rotten word proceed from your mouth. You mean none? You mean there's not even a little bit of leeway here? I'm looking for it. You finding any? I'm not finding any. He says, in fact, he turns it around. He says, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. All right, I get that. But only such a word that is good for, and in the context of the passage in the Greek, it's for necessary edification. So, when I open my mouth, it's to do what? Edify. And notice this, according to the need of the moment, meaning I don't always have to open my mouth. That it may give grace to those who hear. And so I'm, I'm looking through this and I'm like, man, Lord, there have been times in, in my life as a Christian where he has had to confront me and show me the error, the sin in my life. Hey, Thad... You're angry and you're sinning. Hey, Thad, your words were not edifying. Man, that's not any fun, is it? Fill in that blank. Who likes that? I don't. But that's what the Word does. The Word exposes error or sin. Thirdly, we're almost done. The Word of God corrects. I love this Word. This is a really, I wish we had more time. This is a really cool word. It means to restore to a proper condition. To restore to a proper condition. Can I just give you one passage of scripture to write alongside of that? And you can go study it yourselves this afternoon. But Galatians chapter 6 verse 1. That same thought is here in Galatians 6, 1. If a man is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore. That's the word. Restore such a one in spirit of gentleness, looking to yourselves, lest you too be tempted. That's what the word does. The word restores to a previous condition. That's why, guys, listen. I have to say this. I got three or four minutes. We can't give up on believers who've taken the wrong trail. Don't do, we can't do that. We don't have permission to do that. I mean, what does the Bible tell us? He left the 99 to pursue the what? The one. The believer. Right? This is what tends to happen in Christian churches. Unfortunately, it's like, man, God's done with them. Really? My Bible tells me that God forgives. And my Bible tells me that God wants people to be restored in fellowship with him. That's the idea of the word there, is to restore something to its original condition. Well, one more. Training in righteousness. 
all right? God's word is useful or profitable for training in righteousness. This simply means um, training to spiritual growth, training to growth in Christ, to depth in Christ. Um, by the way, you know what that encourages? Think about that this week. You know what that encourages, training in righteousness? It encourages one-on-one discipleship. There are believers who've been sitting in churches for years and years who've never been discipled. How in the world are we going to know what God wants for our lives unless we're looking in the book? If I'm going to live godly, I have to know what God tells me. The only way to know that is to read his, his word, to study his word. And the last, God's word thoroughly equips I like the way that Paul puts this. Um, don't you notice, I mean, you just can't help but notice when you're reading this that, that none of this, listen, all this pressure is not on Timothy to perform something in the lives of people. Okay? It's not on you to perform something in the lives of someone else. It's what God's word will do. See, God's word, notice it says, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that, this is the purpose, that the man of God may be what? Adequate, equipped for every good work. Adequate, equipped for every good work. So the word of God is what equips you and me to live lives that are pleasing to him. I was at a graduation ceremony I've been to several of those boring things in my life. Have you ever, as you get older, you attend those. Have you ever walked into one of those and thought, I'm really going to try to learn something today. I'm really going to try to listen today. Maybe one of the speakers has something to say that I really need to hear. Um, there was a young man. I don't remember if he was valedictorian or salutatorian. It doesn't matter. But I remember he got up in front of the class and he said, hey, we're about to light out new adventure in our lives. For the last 12 years, we've been confined to classrooms and, and now we're about to head out there and, and, and embark on freedom. And he said, how many textbooks have we been through in our lifetime? as students you know he kind of got silly to serious and I thought hey hey he's going somewhere with this he said I can't tell you as a student I couldn't quote to you three full paragraphs of the things I've learned he said did you know and he's talking to his peers. Man, you could, there wasn't a, hardly a, you can hear anything. There was no noise. He said, but do you know there is a book in my life that I learn from every day? And it's fresh and it's active and it works in me. And he said, in that book, I always learn from and I can never afford to put down and then he walked over to the side and he looked at the students and he said, and neither can you. Because in this book is life. And that was said at a graduation ceremony. 
That doesn't happen too often. You know, they pretty much most of the time look at those speeches, right? They read over them. But at this particular ceremony, this, this young man had the freedom to stand and say, in essence, the B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E. Let's pray together. Lord, we know that your Word is living and it's active. And Lord, as Peter's wrestling, because I really believe he is wrestling through this whole idea of leaving them, and, and he's so consumed with with taking care of them as parents are with children. And he wants to walk with them. He wants to know they're okay. That's what happens as parents. We want to know our children are okay. And, um, and Lord, you had him land on the same thing Paul did with Timothy. That when you brush everything back and you focus on the most important thing it is the word of God we have your written revelation and it provides guidance and it comes from you and it is inspired and we thank you so much that we have I mean I can't imagine in this room if we were to count how many copies do we have just in this one room in our homes Lord I pray that they wouldn't collect dust we wouldn't just leave them laying by our bed stand or um, Lord leave them on a stand in the living room or, but Lord that we would that we would as Jeremiah did that we would eat your word that we would take your word in on a regular basis and so that through it, just like Jeremiah wrote, there would be this joy even in the midst of turmoil. God, I pray that we wouldn't be Christians who just profess it. Lord, you would, by your Spirit, help us to be Christians who, who live out the change that you're making inwardly in our lives through your word which is alive and well Lord help today not just to be another day of I've gone to church but Lord help us to help us to take in the fact that this book that we have in our hands is like no other book and it's your love letter to us help us to pay attention to it help us to focus on it Help us, Father, to be addicted to your word so that we have something to give to folks that are out there in that dark world but that are even inside here who may be struggling. Help us to be good counselors who point to your word with your spirit helping and enabling us. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Let's all stand as we close in this song. You know, there's no middle ground. We're all either listening to the lies of the world 
or we are listening to the truth of God's word. We are either surrendering to our flesh and sin, or we are surrendering to Christ. And so our prayer is that as we sing this last song, that we can truthfully say the words in the chorus, that we can surrender and give our all to him. stood before creation, eternity in your hand. You spoke the earth into motion, my soul now to sin. You stood before my failure. Carried the cross for my shame. My sin weighed upon your shoulders, my soul now to stand. So, what can I say? What can I do? God, oh God, completely to you. So I walk upon salvation, your spirit alive in me, my life to declare your promise. My soul now to stand. So what can I say? What can I do? But offer this heart, oh
Monday, uh, this past Monday was a uh, service for Dr. Talley, and I wasn't able to stay for the service. Um, Dr. Talley was at Southeastern Bible College a long time, but I was able to go uh, to the um, calling hours and visit with the family and and uh, all the guy, all the sons who I know pretty well, and went to school with a couple of them. And um, but in that room there were probably 20 guys or so that I hadn't seen for 30 years plus. And I couldn't help, but as we were singing the I'll stand, I'm thinking, you know, that's what Dr. Talley did. He stood. He stood on God's word. And God honored that. I guarantee you none of the guys could share every single thing that Dr. Talley taught us but at the end of the day, every one of those guys could say he stood on this book. And that's what made the difference. It wasn't his personality. It wasn't all his humorous stories, which Dr. Talley didn't have very many. Um, but it was his investment in us as men to say, this is what you need to stand on. This is what's going to carry you through your life as a believer. So I just want to thank the Lord for him as we close uh, our time. Lord, I just want to thank you for Dr. Talley. And I know some in this room may even have known him from Southeastern Bible College. And I thank you for the impact that that one man had because he took the message of Peter and Timothy seriously. And he said, I'm going to stand. And this word, it's living and active. And it works in the hearts and lives of people as we saw this morning, even to the point it provides wisdom for salvation. So I pray that we would stand on your word, that in a day and a time where um, people are maybe moving away from um, depending on your scriptures, I pray that we would depend on your word each day in our lives, and that it would be fresh and new every morning. And every morning we'd wake up with this, this, this passion to get in your word. And Lord, as you, your spirit's going to work in us through that. And so we just commit ourselves to you. Thank you for our time of worship uh, this morning. And I pray all this in the name of Christ. Amen. You are dismissed.